Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. What makes Mike Florio the expert? You're about to find out. This is Pro Football Talk Live with Mike Florio on NBC Sports Radio. Friday edition of Pro Football Talk Live, NBC Sports Radio. Peter King joins me an hour from now on NBCSN. We continue to try to provide you with a distraction and a diversion in these crazy upside-down times. It was very sad to hear the passing of Fred Curley Neal. When I was growing up, the Harlem Globetrotters were the coolest guys around. Anytime the Harlem Globetrotters came to town, you went to see them. My dad took me to see them multiple times. The skills were uncanny, the things they could do with a basketball. And I remember just thinking, like, why don't they go to the NBA and be the champions every year? They were incredible. Of course, I had no concept at the time that they were playing a bunch of hand-picked losers that they were going to ultimately win every night. I think the Washington generals maybe won once in all those years, but the things they could do with the basketball, you know, the, the, the things that, that most high end basketball players can do, although you don't see them do them when you're a kid, you're thinking that only the Harlem Globetrotters can do that kind of stuff. And they had like a commercial on Saturday morning, not a commercial, a cartoon on Saturday morning, which was a huge deal in the seventies. The world revolved around the Saturday morning cartoons. You you had it made when you had a Saturday morning cartoon. That was Mecca for anyone. The Harlem Globetrotters were that cool. And you know, the other sad reality of this era in which we now live, anytime someone older passes, the first thing you think is what? Did he have COVID-19? Inescapable. First thing you're going to think. And I'm, I'm trying not to talk much about that situation. As we knew all along, it's going to get worse before it gets better. And who knows how much worse it's going to get. And it's going to get worse in various regions of the country. And it's going to progress. And it's going to come back. And it's going to swing, swing back around. And until there's a vaccine or an effective treatment, th- this is just our reality. And 
for me, what works is focusing on the moment, focusing on the day, focusing on washing my hands more times than I've ever washed my hands in my life. And just, just pushing through and pushing through and short-term goals. And one of the short-term goals, which really doesn't feel short-term because three weeks and six days feels like an eternity in the midst of this crisis, the draft will happen. We told you yesterday that the league provided a statement that the draft will proceed as scheduled. That happened during the show yesterday because we were talking about the pushback from some general managers, John Elway of the Broncos pushed back, Mickey Loomis from the Saints pushed back, and it could have become a trend. So during a break from yesterday's show, I sent a text message to Brian McCarthy, the NFL spokesman, and said, look, I, I'm I'm taking the position that there's no way the draft is moving. Because that that's, look, they, they went ahead with free agency and they're going to go ahead with the draft. I, I Everything that I had seen and read and sensed was they're going ahead with the draft. So I, I, it was one of those, look, tell me if I'm, if I'm wrong here, but my sense is you guys are definitely going forward with the draft. And the, the text message I got back was on the record, the draft will proceed as scheduled. So last night, that same message was sent by the commissioner to every team. In a memo that was distributed to members of the media, we were one of the ones who got a copy of it. The commissioner explained that there was a discussion among the NFL's Management Council Executive Committee regarding the issues relating to the draft. And the quote from Goodell's memo, the most important quote, well, one of the most important. As it relates to the draft going forward, the most important quote, the committee was unanimous and unequivocal that the draft should go forward as scheduled on April 23 to 25. Period. It will go forward. And the fact that it's going to happen with teams having incomplete information relative to what they usually have doesn't matter because all teams are in the same boat. The challenge for all teams is make the most out of what you have and be creative. It will be interesting to see whether there are teams that are tempted. I'm sure they're all tempted to break the rules in some way. Boy, if somebody gets caught breaking these rules at this time, the NFL really should come down hard on them because these rules are being put in place to advance the broader objectives of minimizing social contact and limiting the spread of COVID-19. You sneak somebody into your facility or you sneak somebody to go see. Now, you know, a lot of these teams are in states that are under stay-at-home orders, so good luck with any of that. But here's hoping that ultimately doesn't happen. And if someone does get caught breaking the rules in order to gain an advantage as the draft approaches, here's hoping the NFL comes down on them aggressively. Apart from the Management Council Executive Committee, Goodell wrote, I have personally discussed this matter with many other owners, club executives, and coaches, and there is widespread support for the committee's conclusion. 
everyone recognizes the public health conditions are highly uncertain and there is no assurance we can select a different date and be confident that conditions will be significantly more favorable than they are today. That was one of the arguments in favor of going ahead with free agency when they did. It's not going to get better in two weeks, four weeks. Who knows when it's going to get better? We start delaying free agency. When are we going to have free agency? We start delaying free agency. Do we have to delay the draft? When are we going to have the draft? My argument about free agency primarily had to do with the optics of hundreds of millions of dollars being committed to football players at a time when people are coming to terms with the fact that they're not going to have income in the short term. Not everyone, but a lot of people. Three million plus unemployment claims last week, the same week that all these multi-million dollar contracts were being reported and announced. The best argument in favor of just going ahead and doing it was there's no way of knowing when it's going to get better. And you don't want to turn the calendar upside down. You don't want to have the draft before free agency. They did it in 2011, though. See, that's what I kept coming back to. This was the nuance that gets lost on things like Twitter. In 2011, when it suited the NFL, they delayed free agency until August. They did the draft first, and they did free agency later, simply because they weren't going to do business as usual until the players cried uncle on the manner in which the NFL was trying to squeeze them financially. So if you can do free agency when it suits your interest in getting the best possible labor deal you can, maybe you can turn your calendar upside down and wait to do free agency until this this unprecedented threat to public health and the economy subsides. That was my argument, but it didn't matter. They were still hell-bent on doing it. And in hindsight, I'm glad they did, frankly. I'm glad they did. Because it gave me a full week to focus my attention almost exclusively on something other than obsessing over all the things that I otherwise would have been worried about and am now constantly worried about as it relates to the COVID-19 situation. The Goodell memo also says that because of the unique circumstances in our country today, the 2020 draft will obviously need to be conducted in a different way. Already, we have canceled all public events. We will not be bringing the prospects and their families to the draft, and the draft itself will be conducted and televised in a way that reflects current conditions. And we already knew that. They're going to try to get the prospects in via FaceTime or whatever other technology is available. I mean, the coverage of this draft is going to be odd. Get used to seeing a lot of people with AirPods in. You've seen that a lot now. Sims had them yesterday. A lot of people broadcasting from their homes. A lot of people going to be involved remotely. It's going to be a challenge technologically. You're not going to have the four-person desk with ESPN or NFL Network. And if people are in the same room, they're going to be 10 feet apart. The John Elway interview from DenverBroncos.com from two days ago. It's like they were going to play tennis. That's how far apart they were. I also believe Goodell wrote that the draft can serve a very positive purpose for our clubs, our fans, and the country at large, and many of you have agreed. Here's where he's right. Now, it can come off as altruistic. It also can be interpreted as selfish and strategic. And maybe it's both. What else do we have between now and, let's say, Memorial Day weekend that we can look forward to? as a break from this one day at a time, 
one day at a time, one day at a time. On one hand, you've got an avalanche of apocalyptic news coming out of hospitals in the hardest hit areas. You've got the families who are forever altered by the loss of loved ones to this virus. You've got people staying at home as much as they can. You've got people who have to go out into the fray and work because their jobs are considered essential. What's better? Is it better if you have a job that would put you out among the public? Is it better to not have the job at this time and try to get by with what you have? Or is it better to actually be able to continue working and everything that goes along with that, being out in the public and potentially exposed to COVID-19 on a regular basis? I don't know what's better. I have never been more fortunate than I am now and more grateful than I am now that I can do my thing and never leave my house. And anyone who can work that way should be grateful and should be looking for ways to help others. And we've been trying to shine a light on the good deeds of owners and players and teams and coaches and anyone, anyone who's doing anything to help. We want to try to point that out so it inspires others to do the same. And we've got plenty of stories along those lines at profootballtalk.com. Drew Brees kicking in $5 million to the effort in Louisiana. Five million. When does anybody ever give five million? Five, are you kidding me? Five million dollars? 20% of his gross earnings for 2020 from football? Five million dollars? I'll tell you what. When a player kicks in five million, you kind of look at the owners and say, hey, buddy boy, stock market's starting to come back. One of your one of your workers is paying five million to the cause. What are you going to do? One more thing from the Goodell memo, and I put this on PFT as a separate item because I think it raises separate issues and separate concerns. And whether it's and and it's funny, you know, like everything else is polarizing. There are some people who think it's great, and there are some people who think this is a horrible infringement on First Amendment rights. The next to the last paragraph, or penultimate if we want to be fancy on a Friday. Fancy word Friday. We need to do that, because Big Cat brought that in, that reality into the show a few weeks ago with the word perseverate. Fancy word Friday. Penultimate. That's not that fancy. Clubs have already reached out to us to discuss particular issues. And we encourage clubs with questions or concerns to continue to raise them with me, members of the Management Council Executive Committee or our staff. The Management Council Executive Committee was also clear, and I share the committee's view, Goodell said, that public discussion of issues relating to the draft serves no useful purpose and is grounds for disciplinary action. In other words, no more complaints about the draft. No, not even complaints. No more public discussion of the issues. In other words, don't talk about it at all. Whether you support it, whether you don't support it. No talking about the issues relating to the draft. I've heard from some people who 
have connections to the league who are livid about this infringement on their ability to speak their mind. And it'll be interesting to see whether anyone does. Because would the league really go through with it? Would they really discipline someone for that? Would they really do it? If someone decides to speak out? If someone specifically decides to speak out because they believe it's wrong for them to be muzzled, criticizing the ban on criticism, does that get you disciplined? It's a bold, bold statement. It's not unprecedented for the NFL. I remember when the CBA was moving toward a boiling point 10 years ago in advance of the lockout. Jerry Jones got fined like $100,000 for talking about it publicly. Now, see, that's different because that's part of the NFL's effort to keep everyone on the same page and to provide nothing to the union that could have been used as a way to divide and conquer at the bargaining table. Well, in this context, this is more of a PR, avoiding any effort to divide and conquer. Now, I think there's an argument to be made that part of the reality of the ultimate reality show about nothing, the draft, is this consternation from some that the draft is going forward. And Sims and I tripped over this notion yesterday, and I think this was a point Sims made, that the fact that there's going to be teams sweating it out and not sure what to do because they have limited information, that just adds to the drama. That enhances the broadcast. So be advised, public discussion of issues relating to the draft serves no useful purpose and is grounds for disciplinary action. And I'm kind of rooting for somebody to test it. I'm kind of rooting for it. I want to see what happens. It's part of the drama. More intrigue for the ultimate reality show about nothing. All right, we're going to take a break. When we return, something that we were discussing yesterday on the program, but I think merits... Further consideration, given how unusual it is, the fact that there are three former number one overall picks in the draft who are all currently available in free agency, and there's nobody that seems to be interested. We'll discuss that next on PFT Live. 24 minutes after the hour, it's Pro Football Talk live on a Friday morning. So there are three former number one overall picks that have all been released. Well, Two have been, well, one has, let me start that over again. There are three former number one overall picks who are all available in free agency. One has been released. Two became free agents. None have gotten any interest whatsoever in free agency. None. You've got Jameis Winston, whose contract expired, no interest in him. You've got Cam Newton, who was cut last week, no interest in him. Jadavian Clowney, whose contract with the Seahawks was expired after he was traded by the Texans on Labor Day weekend. No interest in him. Now, for Newton and Clowney, the problem is they've got physical issues that need to be properly explored. And the COVID-19 procedures, they are preventing Newton and Clowney from being properly checked out, poked and prodded. Winston... It's just crickets. It's amazing. I think they're waiting for Winston to come to terms with the fact he's not going to be a starter. I think for him, after being the first overall pick and after being a franchise quarterback, being a guy that had 5,109 passing yards, I think it's going to take time for him to come to the conclusion that it's over. 
He's got to come to that conclusion that his time as a starter is over, that he's got to go about his business accepting the fact that he is now a backup who at best is going to find a spot where maybe he can become a starter at some point down the line. A Ryan Tannehill situation at best, at very best. Or pick a team where there's a chance that the starter is going to get injured. Ben Roethlisberger, gone week two last year with an elbow problem. Gone. Rest of the year. Great opportunity for a veteran backup. And a lot of people are suggesting that Pittsburgh makes sense for Jameis Winston. There's been no suggestion that Jameis Winston makes sense for Pittsburgh. There's been no indication the Steelers are thinking about that as an option to upgrade the quarterbacks behind Roethlisberger. Currently, it's Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges. I've been pushing the idea of Jameis Winston as the new Teddy Bridgewater in New Orleans, the game day replacement for Drew Brees, the short-term replacement so you don't have to retool the offense with Taysom Hill. For now, the Saints seem to be content to stick with Taysom Hill as the backup. So three number one overall picks, all available, and no one, no one, showing any significant interest in any of them. No interest in Antonio Brown in Tampa Bay either. We're going to talk about that when PFC Live continues after this. You know, it seemed like in the days leading up to the eventual Tom Brady decision on a new team that there were plenty of people in this business who were basically throwing anything they could at the wall. They were turning any whisper that they heard from anyone connected in any way, shape, or form to an NFL team into a breathless report that was provided with authority on TV or elsewhere about what was actually happening. And there was one theory that was making the rounds that Tom Brady was insisting on control over the offense, insisting on influence when it comes to personnel. Claims that were just nonsensical and ridiculous and tended to make Tom Brady look like Veruca Salt. And look, whether you like Tom Brady or you don't like Tom Brady, I like the truth. I, I like residing within the boundaries of what actually is real. And it never passed the sniff test for me that Tom Brady was making these outrageous demands and Last week, in the aftermath of Tom Brady unofficially, apparently, selecting the Buccaneers, because it wasn't until Wednesday night that he had a phone call with Bruce Arians and Jason Light and made his decision to go to Tampa, even though 20 different people reported the day before that he was going to Tampa. But it was in the aftermath of the reports that Tom Brady was going to Tampa that I was able to discern that all of that stuff, as I expected, was crap. The idea that He wants to run the offense. Crap. The idea that he wants a say in personnel. Crap. He had 20 years of do your job with the Patriots. That's how he's wired. He does his job. He knows it works. He has six Super Bowl rings to show for a commitment to doing his job. It's not his job to run the offense. It's not his job to tell the front office who to go sign. And I raise that now because there was this lingering narrative that Tom Brady wanted to have Antonio Brown with him wherever he goes. Never mind the fact that they played all of one game together during careers that for both of them overlapped from 2010 through 2019. One game. 
and Tom Brady wants to join forces with Antonio Brown. And he's going to use that as leverage. He's going to make that one of his asks when he signs a new contract. And look, if it was a drop-dead no-brainer, I'm not coming to your team unless you sign Antonio Brown, I guarantee you the Buccaneers would be all over Antonio Brown. And it would be easy to do. Because who in the hell knows when the guy's going to be cleared to play? Tom, you want Antonio? We'll sign Antonio. Now you understand. You are aware. It's like Penske sitting in Costanza's chair. Yeah, we'll hire Antonio Brown, but you are aware that there are multiple pending investigations of Antonio Brown that may render him unavailable at any point during the 2020 season. It would have been easy to do. I mean, between the sexual assault slash rape lawsuit that the NFL is investigating him on, between the person who spoke to Robert Klemko, who at the time was at SI.com, regarding a separate incident involving Antonio Brown and his alleged retaliation against her via text message, which is also being investigated, and then the more recent alleged assault and burglary that was committed in connection with a guy who showed up with a moving truck and Antonio Brown refused to pay, allegedly, the moving fee. Between those three incidents, none of which have resulted in a suspension yet for Antonio Brown, whatever the over-under is on number of games he would play in 2020, I'd take the under. So it would have been easy. would have been very easy. If Tom Brady wants Antonio Brown, sure, Tommy. If that's what gets you to sign here, we will sign Antonio Brown. And what what, what was going to happen if Tampa Bay had signed Antonio Brown last week? Were people not going to flood the website for season tickets? Were people not going to pre-order Tom Brady jerseys? The guy still doesn't have a number. And they're buying the jerseys. They haven't even unveiled what the jerseys are going to look like. And they're buying the jerseys. Do you really think anyone would have said, oh, well, well, we must reconsider our purchase here, given the fact that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have acquired that scoundrel Antonio Brown. Hell no, they wouldn't have said boo. I just checked. Still no number for Tom Brady. And Chris Godwin's still number 10. 12. Scotty Miller, still number 10. Those are the two primary options. Although, I like six. Even though it's TB12, I like six. For Tom Brady. And then if they win the Super Bowl this year, he can change to seven next year. That would be awesome. That's, that is a great flex by Tom Brady. He'll end up in 12. They're just taking their time. Antonio Brown, they're not taking their time. Antonio Brown, it's not going to happen. I know it's not going to happen because Bruce Arians said on CBS Sports Radio yesterday, it's not going to happen. With those words, it's not going to happen. There's no room, you know? Probably not enough money. It's just not going to happen. It's just not not a fit there. Then he was pressed by Brandon Tierney. Hey, what if Antonio Brown's willing to play for the veteran minimum? What about that? What about that? Huh? Huh? No, it's not going to happen. I just know him, and it's not a fit in our locker room. See, Arians was with Brown for two years in Pittsburgh. Arians was the offensive coordinator through 2011 when he was quote-unquote retired by the Steelers. They thought he was too close to Ben Roethlisberger. They thought he was doing too much to showcase Roethlisberger. They just didn't like that connection anymore, so they retired him. Here we are almost 10 years later. He's still going strong after the one year off 2018 
to go into broadcasting. He hated it, had to get back to coaching. He had enough of Antonio Brown. Too much diva is what Arians said in early 2019 when Antonio Brown was at that time trying to tweet his way out of Pittsburgh. So it ain't happening. And that, to me, further underscores the notion that anyone who was suggesting that Tom Brady was trying to take over the offense at his next destination and have say in personnel is somebody who just passes along whatever they hear without any ability to engage in analytic thought, any ability to engage in analysis, just somebody who wants to traffic in whatever they hear. Those people are the most dangerous in this profession because the sources know who they are and they know after a moment like this, the people who were spewing that nonsense that Tom Brady wants to run an offense and wants to take over a team and wants to have a say in personnel, those are the ones that you go to when you've got something that you want to get out and you know that their number one objective is to have stuff that they can report no matter how inaccurate it may be. Those are the people you manipulate. They are happily manipulated because for them, it's not about being right. For them, it's not about accurately serving the audience. For them, it's about being able to go on TV or go on the internet or go to a newspaper to the extent they still have them or go to a magazine to the extent that they still have them they don't and say, here's what I'm reporting. And they'll gladly take the heat later when they're wrong. Because it's not about the aftermath of the incorrect report. It's not about that. It's about being able to have the report. Because most people aren't going to remember. Most people aren't going to connect the dots. Most people aren't going to know who's telling people the truth and who's just passing along whatever crap someone feeds them because that someone knows that that person will eat that crap and then spit it out for anyone who's listening. And then after the fact, people have to clean up the mess. See, I'm not going to name names, but I know. I know who was spewing that stuff. And those people are people that we don't give any significant credence to their work because we know that there is a very real likelihood that their work is going to be infected by this desire to have something. Got to have something. What do you got? What do you got? Give me something. Give me something. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. Never bother to think whether or not it may be true. Oh, that's good. I can say that on TV, and that'll be good. That's a danger. And there, there, are more than, there are more than a few who fall into that category. And I know who they are. And maybe one of these days I'll name names. It, it doesn't benefit me to name names. It benefits me to file that stuff away. And to use that when we decide what we are going to showcase at PFT. What we are going to tell you is the stuff that we think is really happening. That's one of the challenges. And that's one of the things where when there's somebody who's reporting something who is not a proven member of the group that covers either one team very, very thoroughly and is reporting on that team or covers the league and has the big picture issues. You know, there's a danger for us because if we go with something that someone is just putting out there for attention or for clicks or whatever, and it's wrong, it's almost impossible for us to untangle 
You know, well, hey, we didn't report it. This guy did. Oh, we didn't report it. That guy did. Don't blame us. Blame him. It's not always the easiest thing to do. So we do have a litmus test as we exchange ideas at PFT. We have a text chain where we basically call fly balls. I got this story. I got that story. And somebody will say, so-and-so is reporting this. What do we think? Should we use it? Should we not? And, or who is this person? This person I've never heard of before is reporting this. What should we do? It's kind of how it goes. But the, the five people that I'm blessed to have on my staff with me, they, 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 they know. We all know. We know who are the ones that you can trust and the ones where you have to say, mm, track record combined with other factors leads us to say, let's wait for someone else to confirm this one. Because we know if we go out on that limb, if we join the person on the limb, that they don't care about whether or not the limb falls. That's the problem. You've got people who go out on limbs and don't care that they're out on a limb and they don't care how thin that limb may be and they don't care how far the fall is because for them the victory is the ability to go out on the limb we join them on that limb hey it's it's hard to put the genie back in the bottle i don't want to relitigate our prior screw-ups but the whole terry bradshaw is dead thing that wasn't something we reported that was something someone else reported and my mistake was not being more critical of the reporting and not doing some extra homework to confirm that the reporting was accurate. That, that dynamic, that lesson learned 13 years ago played out this week. I'll tell you a real quick story before we take a break because I don't have a whole lot of time before I have to take a break. When Bruce Arians was on with Dan Patrick earlier this week and started saying that the creamsicle uniforms will be back potentially in 2021 because the NFL is getting rid of the rule that says you can only wear one helmet. Before I wrote that, I asked the league, is this accurate? And it wasn't entirely accurate. Bruce Arians wasn't exactly conveying what's going on the way that the NFL sees it. The NFL says it hasn't decided yet that those discussions are ongoing about changing the one helmet rule for 2021. That's an example of the lesson learned. So, um, to get back to my original point, and you can do the research if you want to see who was reporting that this notion that Tom Brady uh, wants to have control of the offense and control over personnel. It was fake. It was false. And what are the consequences? None. Everybody just keeps moving. So, no Antonio Brown in Tampa Bay. And uh, I've just spent more time than I ever thought I would explaining to you how we, how we go about the process of vetting who can be trusted and who can't be trusted. But this is one of those moments, this is one of those tangible things that I can point to to figure out who knows what's going on, who really doesn't know what's going on, who's capable of analytical thought, who's not capable of analytical thought, and who are the people who are the ones you need to be most leery of as the potential conduits of fake information, exaggerated information, inaccurate information, because they're being manipulated by someone who is smart enough to know these are the people I can go to to get my message out. We got to take a break. When we return, Todd Gurley did not see his release coming, which raises the question, do his eyes work? We'll discuss that when PFT Live continues right after this. 
Todd Gurley was cut last week by the L.A. Rams on Thursday. By Friday morning, he had a deal in place with the Atlanta Falcons. By the way, that deal has yet to be announced. Now, I did a little digging earlier this week, and apparently it's a signatures issue that they're going to go ahead and finalize the deal without a physical. The physical just can't be done because Gurley's in L.A., and L.A. is under a stay-at-home order, and there's no way he can get to a physical. He can't get a physical accomplished at this time, and I think the Falcons would like to wait to have their doctors take a closer look at him because of that knee injury. I'm just confirming again as I scroll down the official roster of the Atlanta Falcons, there is no Todd Gurley on there yet. It's a one-year, $6 million deal if it ultimately becomes effective. And look, Todd Gurley's got the ultimate protection because – He's got another $10 million in injury guarantees that didn't become full guarantees because the Rams cut him one day before that $10 million would have become fully guaranteed. If he fails a physical and can't play, his argument will be the Rams owe me that extra $10 million. So it's a win-win-win for Todd Gurley. It's a win across the board based on how this all plays out. So I mentioned Todd Gurley because he was on former teammate Chris Long's podcast and He said he didn't see it coming. Um, How can you not see it coming when they owe you another $10 million fully guaranteed as of Friday and they're trying to trade you? I understand that professional athletes have to be confident to the point of delusional, but how delusional can you be when they are actively trying to trade you when they are working to find some other team to take on your contract before another $10 million becomes fully guaranteed. I'm assuming that Gurley's agent was explaining these things to him. Uh, Unless Gurley is so salty about any of these issues, and he didn't want anybody talking about his knee. Last year, the Rams media, you, you could see they got off of any talk about Todd Gurley's knee early on because Gurley was salty about it. He was truculent about it, as Howard Cosell would accuse Muhammad Ali of being. He blocked me on Twitter, and I didn't even try to get blocked. I didn't even say anything that would remotely invite him to block the PFT account, other than the fact that we had more stories than he cared to see pop up on our timeline about his knee. When the guy's trainer comes out and says there's an arthritic component in the knee, that's newsworthy. When Jay Glazer reports that the knee isn't right, that's newsworthy. And when it's setting the stage for what we flagged last June, hey, the Rams have a big decision to make on Todd Gurley next March. We were trying to get ahead of the curve. We were trying to tell you what was coming, Todd. If you hadn't blocked us on Twitter, you would have known what was coming. Look, all that said, he won big time as it relates to his relationship with the Rams. Because the Rams didn't have to give him that second contract. They could have paid him $23 million for five years. Four-year rookie contract, and then the option year. It would have been $23 million for five years. He got $46 million for five years. 
He got $23 million that the Rams shouldn't have given him and didn't have to give him. They could have treated him and should have treated him the way that the Chargers treated Melvin Gordon. No new contract, no second contract for running back. We don't care how good you are. We're not going to step into that trap of a guy getting uh, that big contract and then not living up to it whether it's because he no longer plays as hard or because he no longer can play as hard because of his physical condition. So Todd Gurley won big. But this idea that he didn't see it coming, he's either lying or he's not very bright or he kept his eyes completely shut and his ears plugged for a full year. More PFTLI right after this. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.